We're still in Psalm 23. I was telling someone this week, I'm probably going to get through the whole psalm this, this particular week, and that's actually not going to happen. I think just one verse is about all I can handle. So we're going to do verse 2. Remember the psalms, if you open to the very middle of your Bible, you're probably going to find psalms. That's pretty special. If you ever just pick up your Bible, kids, and you want to find the book of Psalms, start by just opening it up. Try to have an even portion on each side, and at the heart of your scriptures, you're going to find the Psalms. That's the kind of way I started. It's the first book I could ever find. I could find Genesis, I could find Revelation, and I could find Psalms. But in more ways than just being the physical heart of the Bible, they show us really the, the emotional or experiential heart of the scripture in a special way. We talked about this last week. We see David's life kind of expounded in the Psalms, his feelings, his emotions, his distresses. And it's so special because this is also our lives. We feel these same things. So the scripture speaks to us. But most importantly, the Psalms reveal and point us to the heart of our Savior, which is most special. We're in Psalm 23 because we're going through 1 Samuel 16 at this time where David was just anointed to be king, but he's a young guy, he's a nobody, they didn't even think of him when they were told to bring the sons to be interviewed by Samuel. They didn't even bring David to the party. He was left alone with the sheep. And yet, through David's shepherding, we learn so much of our Savior. We learn so much of God's care for us. Indeed, we encounter the Good Shepherd himself. Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? Psalm 23, a psalm of David. I'm actually going to read in the King James Version. It's the most beautiful, I believe, translation of most psalms. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Thank you for sending your beloved son to the earth and also for sending your spirit. We pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes and change our hearts. We pray that, Father, you would be magnified and glorified and that your son would be lifted up and all our praise given to him. Strike a straight blow with this crooked stick tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. He makes me lie down is the title of the sermon. We're going to talk about just this one verse, verse 2. As I prepared this week, I could not, with a little bit of glee, 
um, help but remember Todd, niece, telling me about the goats that he had. Some absolutely hilarious stories. Wish Todd were here to hear this. I didn't coordinate with him at all. But he called these fainting goats. I don't know, is that the real name of them, fainting goats? So they're called fainting goats because anytime they're startled, they just fall over and they faint. They look dead. And I know a number of you have seen these goats. I've just seen them on YouTube. It sounds hilarious. I mean, Todd was telling me once he took a basketball and just tossed it into the middle of them, and they all just went, they all just fell over. The first sign of anything unusual, they fall down and look dead. And this seems to be their defense. I don't know what defense it is. Maybe a predator goes, oh, wow, and he sees the feast and he just goes to the first one and all the rest are spared because he's so full of this fainted goat. It's pretty sad. They're a scared species. Interesting that we are described as sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture. The sheep of his hand. These goats, these sheep need constant care if they're to be healthy or to even survive. And we see in ourselves a good, a good description of what sheep really are. And there are many parallels. I'm not going to push it too far, but I'm going to push a little bit on this metaphor of sheep and a shepherd tonight. The first thing we see in verse 2 is that he makes me lie down in green pastures. You probably read this a thousand times. The older you are, probably more than that. Most children, if you have any part of scripture memorized, you probably know Psalm 23. But have you ever thought about that particular verse? He makes me lie down in green pastures. I wish I had talked to Todd a little bit because I would like to know if it was at all possible, besides scaring his sheep, his goats, to make them do anything, to make them lie down. Modern shepherd Philip Keller related that it's almost impossible to make a sheep lie down. Imagine, you walk among them, they kind of might follow you, but you can't give them a command, lie down, and they all lie down for you like a dog might. They cannot be forced to sleep even though they need rest. So what does it mean to make us lie down in green pastures? Well, the only way a shepherd could get a flock of sheep to rest at night or any time is to provide for all their needs. They need to be full. They need to feel safe. Not unsettled. And then they'll lie down. They're timid creatures. Sheep are easily frightened. They're easily scattered. So to make a sheep lie down in green pastures means that you've cared for them well. And it certainly means that you're right there with them. You're in their midst. And only in this way are you really making a sheep lie down or making a flock lie down. So this, let's peel it back just a little bit more. Think of all the preparation that goes into a shepherd who's trying to make a flock lie down in green pastures. Because that's what David said. Jesus, God, 
Yahweh, who is my shepherd and provides for all of my needs, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Well, of course, that's how it works. He provides all my needs. There's nothing that I want. And in that context, he can make us lie down because in him we truly can feel rest. So what does he have to do? First, he has to feed the sheep. Sheep that are hungry are not going to be able to rest. It means diligently leading them to good grazing, making them walk to where the grass is green and where they can eat and fill their bellies. And after they're full, like me today, after lunch, after I was full, I could rest. And I did. But he also has to make them feel safe. We're all like fainting goats. We're easily scared. We're easily frightened and constantly bothered. Outside of the flock, there's predators. And inside the flock, there's bullies. This is, again, Philip Keller talking about how it's not just watching out for wolves and bears. Inside each flock or herd, there's a pecking order in almost every animal species. seen this in just the few cows that I have. I'm a new cattleman, but I've noticed that there are one or two of the, the females, the cows, that are just bullies. I'll try to bring a, a wonderful gift of corn husks or something to the, to the herd, and these bullies just muscle everyone out of the way. They're going to have theirs first. Well, sheep are like this as well. There's a pecking order among the flock. But in the presence of the shepherd, that's one of the things a shepherd does, is he keeps that from being disruptive and distracting. He brings peace and safety. His presence allows them to rest. So it's more than just putting them in a place where there's grass and green pasture to make you lie down to make a sheep or a flock lie down. He's doing other things behind the scenes. So let's think of this in relation to our relationship with the Good Shepherd. Jesus is our Good Shepherd. How do we feel rest? Well, we remember all of the things God has done for us. We have nothing that we want. If God is your shepherd, if Yahweh is your shepherd... You have everything you need in him. So we know this maybe academically. We know this in our heads. But our hearts need to know it. The rest that you have is based upon the shepherd's provision and that alone. And is there anything that happens that our shepherd has not planned? No. Is there any difficulty that is outside the purview of our shepherd's good and gracious decrees? No. So what do we mean when we say that he makes us lie down? We mean that God meets our spiritual needs. He meets all of our needs. And he gives us spiritual and emotional and physical rest. And it's a daily gift from God. You remember the Lord's Prayer? We read it. Give us this day, what? Our daily bread. Every day. He provides for you in every way. And you pray for that. Physical bread for physical needs, but also the bread of life for our spiritual needs. When you feed on Jesus, 
when you are the branches of the vine, when you're the bride, all you need is your bridegroom. So the good shepherd calls us to trust him because we don't always feel like we're in green pastures. When we trust him, there will be no anxiety. There may be trouble, but there will be no lack of peace. We read in Matthew 6, Jesus telling us the same thing. Don't be anxious about your life. You're more valuable than birds. You're more valuable than flowers. And God cares for them infinitely more than anyone else on the earth could ever care for a bird or a flower. And how much more important are you than a bird or a flower? Don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We are to cast all of our anxiety on our shepherd. He's the one who needs to think about tomorrow, not us. So how is this possible? How do we do this? It's interesting to me that we talked about this, a lot of these themes this morning. How are we not to be anxious? Like a sheep, it's pretty simple, I think. You stay well nourished. You eat as much bread as you possibly can, the bread of life. You pursue this food all day long. You focus your gaze on Jesus and his word. Even in the the desert of troubled times in your life, trust that he's leading you to green pastures. There's always a reason and always a purpose for everything that happens. And we trust our shepherd to lead us to that place where we could rest. So pursue Christ. Trust him in the difficulties of your life. He is making you lie down. This implies also that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in us as well. I love how when we talk about Christ as our prophet, our priest, and our king, we say in our catechism as our king that Jesus subdues us to himself. Isn't that beautiful? He is he's taking this hard, prideful man, and he's subduing us to himself, to his own will, as only the loving shepherd, divine shepherd, could do. So the fact that he makes us lie down is more than just his provision. It reflects, I believe, the Holy Spirit sanctifying our hearts so that we will desire his word. We will desire to read and meditate on the scriptures. We will desire to pray. In the scriptures, we see our Savior. In the scriptures, we taste and see that the Lord is good. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God indeed to feed our souls. We have a desire because of the Holy Spirit, not only for the word, but for prayer. So every day we need to be eating the bread of life. We need to be devouring the word of God. It's hard not to imagine the Israelites in the wilderness. Imagine that a million people walking around through the desert, completely reliant on God, who is literally being their shepherd. He was watching over his people like sheep probably more literally like sheep than ever before. And every morning, what happened? 
Manna came down from heaven. He fed them. He cared for them. How much were they allowed to take? As much as they could eat. This is how I picture God's word when it's read and studied and meditated on and preached. You need to just be out there with your bucket and you need to imagine yourself scooping up as much manna as you could possibly fit into your mouth. So, should we be feeding on God as God's word, fixing our eyes on Christ in prayer? And if you're refusing to do this because of laziness or apathy or worldliness or whatever else, you're refusing true rest. No wonder you're anxious. Speaking of prayer, a little helpful booklet. It's back on the back table as well. He's talking about how Calvinism is really just biblical Christianity. And one of the things he says just grabbed a hold of me. He said, uh, this is Ian Hamilton. The experiential Christian honors God's unconditional sovereignty. God's sovereignty is never seen in Scripture as an excuse for believers to become passive. God's sovereignty does not suspend human responsibility, but rather embraces it. But how will this manifest in our lives? It is shown chiefly in God's people giving themselves to consistent, faithful, heartfelt prayer. Nothing more honors God's unconditional sovereignty than prayer. B.B. Warfield wrote, It's interesting to look in Scripture that all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, the early church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. The demise of the church prayer meeting in recent times is deeply indicative of the spiritual atrophy that innervates the church's witness to the grace and the power of the gospel. John Bunyan was right when he wrote in The Pilgrim's Progress, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Can we dare call ourselves Christians or Calvinists if prayer is not one of the pulse beats of our congregational and personal lives? Surely it is prayer that most manifests our conviction that God the Holy Spirit is the great convincer, convictor, and applier of Christ's saving merits to sinners. So Calvinists are preeminently pneumatic Christians. We're people who knows that God hears our prayers and answers. If you realize that prayer is not the pulse beat of your Christian life, begin to strive to make it the pulse beat of your Christian life. How do you do that? You pursue Jesus. And you also get back into the batter's box. You've got to step back up and keep swinging. Pray that God helps you. Like the man who beat his breast and said, Lord, help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. That's us every day. So to lie down in green pastures is not something that we can do alone. It's not something of ourselves. It's not something we work up. The Holy Spirit must help us. If we're to feed on his word, if we're to pray and fellowship with him, if we're to hear his voice in the scriptures, pray that he shows you your need of a savior. He shows you your need of good pasture and good food. 
He makes you aware of your desire and your need to rest and to lie down. But he also says, secondly, that he leads us beside still waters. He leads me, Yahweh, leads me beside still waters. You might be thinking, this is the same point as the first point. He's just saying it in a different way. Well, kind of, yes. But I'm going to go with it. Our good shepherd still provides life-sustaining water. And not just any water will do. Again, Philip Keller says, A shepherd knows that the water must be good, it must be clean, and it must be easily drank. Sheep can't drink from the ocean. It's too salty, and the waves make it impossible for them, even if it were fresh. It has to be still water. It has to be clean water and healthy water. So to be led beside still water, or the word also means toward still water, is a matter of following the shepherd. We have to be led. And the sheep never see farther than their own noses. Think the shepherd's standing up. We stand up straight as humans, but sheep and other four-legged animals are down. They're down on their faces. They see this high above the ground. We forget this when we think of sheep, and we forget this in our distress as well. We don't see the whole picture. The shepherd is standing up, and he sees much, much farther than we do. And he's leading us to still water. Sometimes my littlest dog has this, he has this habit of just jumping off the porch and running down to my aunt's house. It's a, about a half a mile, three quarters of a mile away. And there's tall grass everywhere. He can, there's no way he can see the house. He only stands this high off the ground. And yet he knows somehow how to get up there. And then when he's all done eating her food, he knows how to get back. How? God's given many dogs kind of a sixth sense about finding things. There are stories of dogs who have been, you've heard these stories, they've been taken out of state or something like that and escaped from the car and run all the way back hundreds of miles and found their house. How? There's something they that they do that we can't do. Or dogs who have been alone with their masters hiking in the wilderness, the master gets hurt, can't move anymore, the dog runs all the way back, finds help, and leads them back to the master. We've read these stories. They're real. How does the dog know that? Well, that's not really the point. The point is dogs can't see very far, but they're able to do things that are amazing. Well, we're not like that, and sheep aren't like that at all. Sheep are just looking at their shepherd and looking at the grass. They see what's right here. That's kind of where we live as well. Sheep need to be led and fed and protected. They need to be shown where the still, clear water is. What does still mean in Hebrew? It's interesting. It, it also means restful and quiet. So our shepherd is leading us to restful and quiet and still waters. He's taking such good care of us. He's making sure that the water is the right water. Well, Christ talked about this water as well in John 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. 
Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Good Shepherd leads you to true waters, to living waters. And ultimately, he leads you to himself by the Holy Spirit. He's the source of all health. He's the source of all that we need. I think it was hammered into my skull when I was in sports that I needed to drink at least eight glasses of water a day. And on days we had practice or games, I needed to double it. That was a lot of water. I remember spending a lot of time in the bathroom. But there's a lot of water, and it's good for you. It's good for your, for your body. And if you don't get the amount of water that your body needs, you know you don't feel well. Your body suffers in the short term. You're dehydrated. You're tired. You're grumpy. Your digestion is bad. You're cognitively impaired. You don't think straight if you're not getting enough water. And your long-term health impacts are more serious. Long-term deprivation of water over time can harm your body permanently. You need to be drinking water every day. I mean, I didn't plan to say this in the sermon, but you should be drinking lots of water. But how much more so do you need the living water? You see, when you think of your need to drink actual water, you know this is a real physical need. And you're convinced that this is probably one of your biggest needs in life. And kids, if you don't have water, it is your biggest need in life. If you've been in a desert, everyone wants water in the desert. You need water. What I'm saying is that the living water, the spiritual water, is so much more necessary because it's eternal. And without it, you will suffer forever in hell. Where it's always dry. And nothing is going to help ease that parched place in your soul. There's no real substitute for Jesus. I was thinking you could substitute lots of things for lots of different foods, but there's no substitute for water. Your body just needs water. There's no substitute for Christ. He's leading you to himself to drink deeply. In John chapter 4 with the woman at the well... He says, whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So this quiet, still water that he leads us to helps us every day. But then it's also eternal, isn't it? The word and the prayer in your life every day is critical, just as critical as drinking actual water. And if you don't, feed on God and the word and prayer. If you don't drink living water, you're going to suffer spiritual malnourishment and you're going to be sick, spiritually sick. All of the ordinary means of grace are like food for our souls. I like how Jesus said this overflows to eternal life. It overflows from your own life to others. So we can lie down in green pastures only because our shepherd has supplied all our needs. And we can drink clear water only because our shepherd has led us to himself. But not all sheep desire to have rest. Shockingly, not all sheep desire still life-giving water. 
This is the third and last point. There's an, a group of sheep that just want unhealthy water and unhealthy food. Inside the church and outside the church, many sheep don't want good drink or good food. You remember we talked about this morning, the same word for healthy in Greek is sound, as in sound doctrine, healthy doctrine. The gospel is the most healthy doctrine, and it's the last thing that most people want. Jeremiah 2, and Jeremiah speaks of this, talking to the Old Testament saints, the Old Testament church. Verse 12, he says, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate. Strong words. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Jeremiah is speaking to God's covenant community in the Old Testament. They knew about God. They knew all that God offered them. And they rather chose to make broken cisterns for themselves meaning they wanted a cheap substitute, something they could control, something of their own making, rather than the fountain of living waters. Today people still look for all kinds of other things to seek contentment in life. We've talked about them so often. This morning we talked about a a love or desire for riches and money. Like that will really make you content and happy. Security, fame, possession, status, entertainments, pleasure, or drugs, or alcohol, or good food, or family, marriage, children, community. All of these things are pursued as things that will make you content. At the root of it all, of course, is a prideful love of self and a refusal to submit to the Good Shepherd. They will not be ruled by that man from Nazareth. They will be their own shepherds. Even if it's drinking out of filthy puddles and eating rotten, moldy bread. They will not be shepherded by that man. They will not be owned by that man. They will not submit to him. And he will never be their king or shepherd. The scary thing is we all want that for ourselves. In our sinful nature, we all desire to be our own God. To rule our own lives. But Jeremiah says it's like a broken cistern. It doesn't hold water. There's no life there. We need to follow the Good Shepherd. All mankind are in this position. They're all drinking out of broken cisterns before Christ. Dead in sins and trespasses, we read in Ephesians 2, following the prince of the power of the year, living in control or by being controlled by their passions, their flesh, and our children of wrath. We see this as a great detriment outside the church, but it also infects the church as well. We need to remember there's nothing like the living water of Jesus Christ that can satisfy the soul. Augustine wrote famously, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. 
unless you're following the good shepherd, as he's revealed in his word, pursuing him in prayer, is led by the Holy Spirit in the word, in prayer, fellowship, and the sacraments, you will not find rest in Christ. So let me conclude with this. The one thing that makes you lie down in green pastures more than anything else, that leads you beside quiet waters, and there's no substitute for this one thing, is the presence of Jesus. The presence of Yahweh. The presence of the good shepherd. When the good shepherd is in the midst of the sheep, and he promises to be with us whenever two or more are gathered, when the good shepherd is with us and our eyes are fixed upon him, then we can have peace. This is what your soul really desires. Whether you think these other things may or may not make you happy, they won't. They won't make you content. You will not enjoy your life. The only way to enjoy your life is to enjoy God forever. So are you troubled and tossed about the storms of life? Are you weary from pain and suffering, sorrow and uncertainty? Does your soul right now desire rest and refreshing? Look to Jesus. Just look to the shepherd. He desires to bring his children peace. Too often we take our eyes off of the shepherd. That's why we're so easily frightened. That's why we fall over and faint at the first sign of a basketball thrown in our midst. But when we put our eyes on the shepherd, when we listen to his comforting voice, we're able to lie down and rest. When we follow his lead, we know that even through deserts, we will end up in green pastures and still waters. Only Christians, only those with faith in Christ can ever really say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I have everything I need. So tonight, if you feel parched and dry or alone and hungry, if you've been wandering, now is the time to turn your eyes to Christ, to fix your eyes on Jesus. And I would hope tonight in your heart, every one of you would run to Jesus, run to him. He's the shepherd who doesn't run except to your rescue, but you need to run to him. He's always with you. And in him is fullness of joy.